This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. That was the funniest introduction I've ever gotten. Especially when no one knew my book. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan al-rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahid al-uqdata min lisani yafqahu qawli. So I just have a couple minutes up here and I have a few goals. Uh, I think obviously before we do anything in life we should know where it is that we want to end up. What's our goal? Uh, so I have a couple goals in my short time up here. And one of them is I want to change the way we think about service, the way we think about giving. See, we come a lot often to these types of events. And mashallah, you guys, may Allah reward you for taking the time out of your schedule to care, to care enough to come to something like this and to, and to want to listen and to want to give. But oftentimes when we stand up here, uh, speakers will oftentimes try to convince you why it is that the people in need are in need of you to give. Well, it seems pretty obvious. If someone is in need, then they're the needy, and you're the one giving, so therefore you are the one who's in the upper position. And, and they are the ones in need of us. Now, while that is in a sense true, it is true that the people in Syria, Syria need us. It is true that this organization uh, is doing amazing work in Syria. And it is true that these people do need our help. But I actually want to tell you and convince you of something very, very, you know, a, a different way to look at it. And that is this, that when we are in a position to give, we are actually the ones who are giving to ourselves. Essentially, when I serve another person, when I help another person in need, yes, I am helping them, but first and foremost, I'm helping myself. And this is a principle that we truly, truly, if we are wise, we will understand. There are many reasons why this is the case, and I could actually stand up here and give you and stand and give you. Uh, I could stand here for hours, in fact, giving you text after text after text, explaining to you why it is that when you give, you are the one who's becoming more rich, and that in fact, while you are helping another person, you are essentially helping yourself. But I want to begin by by telling you this: there are two ways to look at this issue. One is from a, just a purely uh, psychological point of view. My background is in psychology, as some of you know. And um, there is one way to look at this. There's, there's a body of research that talks about service. And one thing, I'm just going to very quickly summarize that because I want to take more time to focus on something else. And that is the perspective of what Allah and His Messengers say about this. But to begin with, let me just actually look at what psychology says about service and about giving. So, there's this thing that every single person in the world agrees about. Whether you're Muslim or you're, or you're not, whether you believe in God or you don't, every single person agrees that we want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. No one in this room, if I ask you, no matter what age you are, no matter what, what, what walk of life you're in, if I ask you, would you like to be less happy, nobody will raise their hand. So how many people in this room would like to be less happy? 
Surprisingly, no one's raising their hand, and I don't have any jokers of Hamelan. Well, except for no one's okay. Um, so, so um, no one is raising their hand. Surprisingly, right? How many people want to be happier? Everyone wants to be happier, and if, and in fact, everything we chase in life, whether that's our careers, or whether it's money, or whether it's power or status, essentially we chase these things because we believe that they will make us happier. Is everyone agreeing? Everyone agrees that everything, I mean, we eat cheesecake to make us happier, right? And y'all feel a bit happier just now because you ate cheesecake. But the, but the point is that this is our ultimate motivation in everything that we do, is to become happier. And as believers, we believe in not only being happier in this life, but we believe in working to be happier in the next. But essentially that motivation that God put in us is the desire for happiness. Okay? Is everyone in agreement about that? Yes? yes. All right, great. There was like one person in agreement, but that's fine. Um, so, happiness. Psychologists now study, how do we become happier? How can I have a, a higher, how can I increase my well-being and have a greater sense of, um, you know, just a greater quality of life? And what is so amazing in their findings is this. They find that people live around a certain, what they call like a baseline happiness. And what this means is that no matter what happens in your life, you're always going to end up back at your baseline. So people have a baseline, something amazing happens, they get a promotion, they win the lottery, whatever it is, and they get a spike in that happiness, but they have found that it is quite temporary. And that eventually they'll come right back to their baseline. So this idea that we have that when I reach X, Y, Z, then I'll be happy. And everyone has a different fill in the blank. Some people it's when I get this job, when I get this career, when I make this much money, when I fit this type of size or whatever it is. The point is that we all have these goals that we believe will make us happy. But what's interesting is that research shows that these goals that we put, these, these events that happen in our life, they aren't really making us happier. That it's a very temporary spike. But here's the amazing thing that they find. They find that one of the few ways, it's, it's essentially impossible to increase your baseline. But there is a way to increase your baseline. And this is the way they, they found. Is that one of the most, most effective ways to increase your baseline, not just to get these temporary spikes in happiness, but one of the best ways to increase your baseline is service to others. It is in generosity. In fact, it is so powerful that, by the way, you've been lied to. Everyone ready for this? Okay, two people are ready. Is everyone else ready? Okay, I sometimes get people when they're in a food coma, I tend to, I mean, they put me after food, or they put me in Ramadan right before a thought. It's like they're either in, in a, anyway. Um, but basically, here, here's, here's what, what, what they found. And actually, you have been lied to because people told you that money doesn't buy happiness. You heard that, right? It's a lie. It's not true. Money does buy happiness. Do I have everyone's attention now? Good. Because you're like, what? Wait, tell me where I can buy that. I'll tell you how money buys happiness. Money buys happiness when it's spent on others. This has been found in studies that when a person spends their money on themselves, it doesn't increase their happiness. They can buy themselves all the gift, all the amazing things they want, and yet it has not been shown to increase their happiness. But when they spend on others, it makes them happier. 
And even just recalling something you spent on another person will make you happier. So look at how Allah has designed us. He's designed us in such a way that it feels good to be in the service of others. It feels good to be generous. And in fact, it is, it is so deep that, it, that it's one of the few ways to increase our entire baseline happiness. Just to be a happier person, you need to be a generous person. This is the divine design. It's actually the way Allah has created us. That if a person is selfish, that if a person is miserly and does not want to give, that person will in fact be more unhappy. And this is just secular psychology. This is, and I haven't even started talking about the text or the Quran or the Sunnah. This is just secular psychology. If you want to be happier, give. Simple as that. That's just without even getting into the text. Now, I want to switch quickly to the text. And the reason I want to do that quickly is because there's so much about service and so much about charity. But I just picked a few things and I want to quickly go through them. First of all, the thing about charity is that the Prophet ﷺ told us that our charity, whatever we give in this life of sadaqah, is going to be a shade for us on the Day of Judgment. See, the Day of Judgment is a scary day, which we don't oftentimes like to think about. But every person in this room believes it to be a reality. And on that day, there is no shade, except for the shade of Allah, that Allah provides. And there's a hadith that tells us that our charity provides a shade for us on the Day of Judgment. There's another hadith that says that every limb of our body, every joint of our body, is must give some sort of charity every single day. And, and so you might wonder, well, how do I do that? And why? Because if you think about it, the fact that we were given eyes and we were given ears and we were given the ability to think and walk and talk and, 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 and do all the things that we're able to do, these are gifts that we have to show gratitude for. Part of our gratitude is giving back, is giving back. And the Prophet ﷺ is telling us that the way in which we give back is through charity. Now what's the charity that we give? The Prophet ﷺ told us that there are different kinds of charity that you can give. For example, even helping a person who, who you know, helping a person up onto their mount, right? So in, in this case, they, when they were riding horses or camels, just helping a person, that's a charity. Smiling is a charity. And that this is something that we're actually required to do as part of giving back for all of the things that we have and all the gifts that we have. There's a really beautiful quote of Muhammad Ali. And he says, the service that you do for others is the rent that you pay for your room here on earth. That it, that part of our, part of, you know, the, 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 the giving back, almost like the, the pay, the rent that we, that we have to give back is that we have to give this service to others. Now, there's something else that's very important, and that's this. The Prophet ﷺ said that give charity without delay, for it stands in the way of calamity. And I was actually very blown away by this hadith, because every single one of us, as I said from the beginning, we all want happiness. But there's also something that we all agree about, and that's we're all, we all want to avoid pain. This is just how a human being is designed. That we, we are motivated towards happiness and we are motivated to protect ourselves from pain. 
The Prophet ﷺ tells us that one of the ways to, to, to guard ourselves from calamity is through charity. So he's telling us, he's advising us to give and to not delay because that charity itself protects us from calamities towards ourselves and towards others. Now one of the reasons why a lot of times we don't want to give, one of the reasons we don't want to give is because we believe that if we give, we lose. Now this is something which is which is a little bit difficult to change the way we view, but I'm going to give you guys an analogy because analogies are my thing. Um, here's my analogy. If I have a five-year-old and I hand that five-year-old $10, a $10 bill, that's a lot of money for a five-year-old and a five-year-old is going to be pretty excited. Now, if I tell the five-year-old, take that $10 and go invest it, right? Does the five-year-old even understand what an investment is? No. Okay. What will the five-year-old feel is happening to his or her money when he or she invests it? That child will believe what? That they've lost that money. So you see, a child, because of the child's understanding, so long as the money's not in the child's hand or is temporarily taken out of the hand, the child sees it as a loss. Do you get where I'm going with this? What happens is that when we don't have a deep spiritual understanding, we see it the same way. We believe that when we give charity, we're losing that money. But it isn't a loss, it's an investment. And it's not an investment with a with an investment firm, it's an investment with the creator of all investment firms and all actually the heavens and the earth. That when we give something for charity, we aren't losing that money. We are investing and growing that money. If someone comes to me and, you know, people come and ask for advice about various different issues. And one of the issues I've had questions about was, you know what, I'm in a lot of financial trouble. I'm in debt, or I need to take a loan, or, you know, issues like that, financial issues. Honestly, one of the best advice that I can give to a person who's having financial trouble is give sadaqah, which seems sort of counterintuitive. You're telling me that I have little, and you're asking me to give, and my answer is yes. For the exact same reason that when a person wants to grow their money, what should they do? What, okay, anyone who knows about financial, financial growth will tell you that if you want to grow your money, do you hold on to it in the bank or do you invest it? Do you invest it? Invest it, right? This is like ABCs. It's exactly the same thing with regards to charity, is that the best way to, and, and risk in our, our provision, the best way to increase our risk is to give it for the sake of Allah, to give a portion for the sake of Allah. So the irony is that while we think that we're losing that money, we're in fact investing that money, and in fact it gets returned, you know, more than what we've given, multiplied. But if there's anything I want you to take away from this very nice dark room, um, it's this. And that is, there's a principle that you will find across the text. Whether you read the Qur'an, or you read the Hadith, or you study the Sunnah, you'll find that there is, a, there is a principle that's a common denominator across the text. And that principle goes like this. We are taught to treat others as we would like the Creator to treat us. Okay, I'm going to repeat that because it's very important. The way in which we treat the creation, the way in which we are with the creation, is the way in which the Creator will be with us. 
And you find this again and again and again. That's why if we are a people who don't like to give, if we are a people who who are stingy with people, who are not generous, who are not giving, who are not forgiving, who are not merciful, then that should scare us. Because what it is, is it's an indication that that is how God will be with us. Do you understand what I'm saying? That when a person is merciful, for example, there's a hadith in which the Prophet said, show mercy to those on the earth, and the one in the heavens will show mercy to you. Another hadith that says, he who does not show mercy will not be shown mercy by Allah. And one of the most powerful examples is that there's a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ, he goes and he lists item after item after item about and making these parallels that if you do this for people, Allah will do this for you. If you do this for people, Allah will do this for you. And so on and so forth. And it's one after the other. And I find this hadith to be so incredibly powerful because oftentimes we fall into this myth. It's a sort of myth of what it means to be righteous. See, if I ask you right now to, to think about a religious person, what does a religious person look like and act like in your mind? What does righteousness look like? What is righteousness, what, what, what do you imagine when you think of holiness? And oftentimes, what, what comes to mind is, you know, if it's a man, it's, yes, it's a, it's a man who dresses a certain way, has a very long beard, short pants, and spends a lot of time in the masjid. This is the kind of impression we have in a woman, you know, similarly. And we think of righteousness and holy, a, a person who is, who, is, who is very religious as a person who is very involved in these kinds of rituals. Now, while that is very, very true, I find this hadith especially interesting for this reason exactly. The Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith that the most beloved person to Allah that the most beloved people to Allah are those, and now what do we expect is going to come here? We might expect if we were to say, the one who spends the most time in the masjid, or the one who spends the most time standing and praying, or the one, you know, we're thinking of rituals, but in fact the hadith says that the most beloved people to Allah are those who help and benefit others the most. And the most beloved action to Allah is pleasure and happiness that you can cause to enter the heart of a Muslim. And to solve one of his problems. And to pay off his debt. And to prevent him from being hungry. Now, listen to this. This is what really blew me away. The Prophet he's he's standing in not just any masjid, he's standing in Masjid the Nabawi of Medina. How many of you have ever visited this masjid? Like three people. Okay, or you're sleeping. The masjid in Medina, y'all, I know more than that have visited. Now, the, the Prophet ﷺ is standing in the masjid al Nabawi in Medina. Okay? And this is, a, this is a masjid where we're told one prayer in this masjid is equivalent to a thousand in any other masjid. Okay, this is where we're standing. Well, we're not, but inshallah we will soon. But the Prophet ﷺ is standing. And you know what he says? He says... Working to help my Muslim brother is more beloved to me than making atikaf, meaning seclusion in this masjid. And he's pointing to Masjid al-Nabawi. Not for one night or two, he says for a month. Do you understand what he's saying? He says that for me, it is more beloved 
Working to help my Muslim brother is more beloved to me than making atikaf, being in seclusion, in this masjid for one month. Now that's something to really absorb. Because a lot of times we miss this aspect of our deen. And we, we sort of narrow the concept of what it means to be religious or what it means to be righteous. But in fact, we have to really widen the lens because the Prophet ﷺ again and again and again explains to us that true righteousness has to do with and it will manifest in how we treat people. See, the thing about rituals, the thing about praying and fasting and, and, and these other types of ritualistic, the, the rituals of worship is that they are intended to make us better people. They're not just, they're not just, we don't just do it just to do it, but there is a purpose in doing it. And one of the manifestations of that transformation internally is how we treat people. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, for example, says, خَيْرُكُمْ خَيْرُكُمْ The best of you are the best to your families, or to his, the best of you are, are the best to their families. And that's because all this work that you're doing in praying and in studying, it should actually be making you a better and more compassionate and more merciful person. And if it's not, then there's something that we're doing wrong, if that makes sense. That the, the outcome of our work, the outcome of our worship should be that we are kinder to people, that we are more generous with people, that we are more compassionate and more merciful. This is the type, these are the qualities that the Prophet ﷺ had exhibited, and these are the qualities that should come out of our worship. But see, if we're a people who only talk about, about praying in the masjid, but we don't teach about the importance of how we treat people, then we've missed a very, very huge aspect of our deen. The Prophet then says this. He says that Allah will conceal the faults of, of another person so long, or so long as we conceal the faults of people, Allah will conceal our faults. And whoever controls his ill feelings, Allah will fill his heart with contentment on the Day of Judgment. Whoever strives to help fulfill a need for his brother, Allah will make his feet steadfast on the Day of Judgment. Now I want to end with this. We are all, alhamdulillah, at the moment quite comfortable here at a very nice hall, sitting and eating. We're done. We're, 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 we're satiated. But everyone in this room knows that there's going to come a day where we, we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That the day of judgment is, is, is a haqq, it's the reality. And if we are not preparing for that day now, then when we come on that day, we'll come as poor. As actually, that's the true poverty. One of the things that the Prophet ﷺ taught us is this, is that when we help another person in this life, Allah will help us in the next life. And He will be at our aid in this life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, he, he tells us and the Prophet ﷺ teaches us that Allah will continue to be at the aid of the servant so long as the servant is in the aid of his or her brother. أَقُولِ قَوْلِ هَذَا وَاسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ وَلَكُمْ إِنَّهُ غَفُرُ الرَّحِيمُ سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُ بِحَمْدَكَ أَشْهَدُ وَلَا إِلَهِ إِنَّا أَنْتَ أَسْتَغْفِرُكُ وَأَتُوبُ إِلَيْكَ And yes, my book is called Reclaim Your Heart and it's available outside. Assalamu alaikum.